0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla.
1: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I am Doug Sweeney here with my co-host Kristen Padilla. We are glad you have tuned in to another week of What We Pray will be an edifying conversation. Today on the show, we have another Beeson alum to talk to us about the ways in which God is at work in his life and in his ministry. Now, Kristen, would you please introduce today's guest?
2: Hello, everyone. Before I introduce today's guest, uh, allow me to say happy birthday to my son, Philip, who turns nine today and listens uh, to each week's podcast with me on the way to work and school. So happy birthday, Philip. Today's guest is Reverend Dr. David Eldridge. He is a graduate of Beeson Divinity School and is senior pastor of Dawson Memorial Baptist Church in Homewood um, here in Birmingham. He is married to Danielle and they have three sons. Welcome, Dr. Eldridge, to the Beeson Podcast.
0: I'm honored to be here, Kristen. And Dean Sweeney, thank you for the invitation.
2: We're so glad to have you, and you have a lot to share about pastoral ministry that I know will bless our listeners. But first, we want to hear more about who you are. Where are you from, and how did you come to faith in Jesus Christ?
0: Home for me is a suburb of Jackson, Mississippi, called Clinton, Mississippi. And I grew up there from kindergarten through Mississippi College, where I I did my undergrad and then met my wife there at Mississippi College. So that's roots. That's home for me.
2: And how did you come to faith in Jesus Christ?
0: Yeah, it's a story that I, I always enjoy getting to, to to share because really the roots of my faith in Christ uh, stems from the influence of, of two men um, God used the power of the Holy Spirit to draw me to him, a football coach and a student minister. So in the eighth grade, I had a football coach and a history teacher who just made a tremendous impression upon me as a 13-year-old. I didn't know what that necessarily was, but he connected to me very individually. He modeled uh, really integrity upon the football field in a way that I had never seen a coach do. And so one day in the eighth grade, he invited me to come to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I asked him, Coach Siegal, what is FCA? And he just said, oh, come on, David. And so the first gospel message I literally remember hearing, I'd heard others, no doubt, but I can still remember in the gym of my middle school uh, hearing him preach the gospel. I wasn't saved in that moment, but the seeds of the gospel were implanted, simultaneous to that. I had a, a church that was literally within walking distance from the school that I was attending. Other friends and myself would walk to the church, play basketball, and a youth minister by the name of Harvey Ellis just poured into me, preached the word. And those two convergences God used to draw me to faith. So I'm very, very thankful for Harvey Ellis and Greg Stegall and, and the wooing of the Holy Spirit through their life, their ministry, and their teaching.
1: That is wonderful, Pastor Eldridge. How did the Lord take you from there to pastoral ministry? How did you figure out He wanted you to be a pastor? what's your calling to ministry like, and uh, how did you get to a seminary in the first place? So many of the stories that I tell
0: have to do with sports in some respect, especially in those early years of my life. I, growing up in that community, was running to the YMCA and would work out and then run home. I was 16 years old. I was getting ready for two-a-day football practices, early in the morning, late at night, I was uh, going into my junior year of high school and my only vocational aspirations literally were to be what Greg Stegall was to me, a football coach, a history teacher, someone that would pour into young men, young women. And so as I was running, I stopped running. I didn't hear a voice. There there wasn't uh, handwriting in the clouds, but there was an undeniable impression upon me at the age of 16 that God was calling me. And in that moment, the the only way I could figure out what God was calling me to do was to do it, Harvey Ellis, again, that was the student minister. So in that moment, I was running, I stopped, I felt this undeniable impression of God's calling upon my life, and I started running and have never really looked back. I immediately began to have opportunities, largely through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, to speak and share my testimony as an athlete, and God began to use that to give me an understanding of calling. Uh, As a 17-year-old freshman at Mississippi College, I began to be a part-time student minister. And so I literally had kids in the student ministry that were older than me, the student pastor, which is always a great... um, Irony in so many ways, and I, I was a Christian studies and English major. And early on, God began to refine a sense of pastoral calling, largely through my times at Beeson Divinity School and in my undergrad. That was as a student pastor, and immediately upon graduation, it was into pastoral ministry. And the reason I came to Beeson was because of this sense of calling to pastoral ministry, to the preaching, the teaching of God's word, the shepherding of people. And so God utilized uh, that sense of refinement in those early days of my life to bring me to to Beeson for what I saw in the faculty that I could see from a distance um, as I began to survey Different seminaries.
2: Your first pastor at Role after Beeson was at a church in the Mississippi Gulf Coast region, uh, which happened to be in the path of Hurricane Katrina in 2005. And I can only imagine what it's like to be a young pastor fresh out of seminary um, to pastor a church through a natural disaster such as such as that one. Um, so what was that like? Um, what did you learn about pastoral ministry through that experience?
0: Yeah, it's a wonderful question. Um, it's a question that in many ways brings me back to some of the best of times and the worst of times, I guess, in some respects, because in hindsight, I can see God's sovereignty in, in the tragedy that I experienced and saw. Uh, 95% of our church members lost the majority of their possessions. Uh, our church took on about five feet of water. Um, church members literally came back to slabs. There were funerals that I did after Hurricane Katrina. So there was a sense in which we saw a lot of just physical devastation, but in the same way, in the difficulty of that. My wife was pregnant, uh, Danielle was pregnant with our first child, so the stress the emotional, the physical, I can still remember the smells of coming back to this uh, church and pulling up the carpet and going back into our house and literally taking all of your furniture, all of your possession. We didn't have a lot. We were a young couple, but everything that we had, we were pulling it out of our house, putting it on the curb. And there's just something about that that is emotionally, physically, it it does something to you that is wholly unique in some respects. But at the same time, God's faithfulness in the midst of, of that season of life was so tremendous in, in so many ways. One way, immediately we saw the breath of the body of Christ respond. So we we literally had Christians coming from Mississippi and Alabama and Louisiana and Georgia to partner with us and from California to New York City. And so these next months and years in regard to the ministry that we had was a ministry to the community largely from volunteers who flocked to that region and the region of New Orleans and going into Alabama, the whole Gulf Coast area. So they were able to help us reach our community in ways that we never were able to do before. I oftentimes say the best thing that ever happened to our church were the doors of our church being blown off the hinges, because in some respects, there was this metaphor that it opened us up to the community. So all after Katrina, I mean, our church became through not, not my leadership as much as just Uh, the wealth of volunteers and other churches that came and undergirded our ministry. We were able to provide physical relief. We were able to provide ministry to people's homes and help them get back in their feet. Um, I remember vividly the first service going back, uh, the, the, the sanctuary was just, pews were strewn everywhere. So we were able to meet in our fellowship hall in these folding chairs. And you have this remnant of people. I mean, literally you have uh, the church was maybe 40 before Katrina, so we had a, a remnant of 20 and. And in that moment, being able to look at these people and the depth of meaning as you're preaching the Word of God from Psalm 46, and then you're having each of these couples and each of these individuals come up and receive uh, communion on that day, and communion that was literally in solo cups and with bread from a gas station, and, and, and just the power of of the Word and the table and that unique experience, it solidified for me that, that He is enough. I mean, we we did not have electricity, but he was enough. Uh, We didn't have pews, but he was enough. We we didn't have security in the buildings and anything like that. Dogs had strung through it, cats and animals, but he was enough, Uh, and and that was deeply formative to me uh, for the rest of my ministry in in every way. So. Uh, it was a stretching time there 's no denying that, but it was a it was a beautiful time, looking back upon it, especially now to be able to see some of those lessons of ministry and foundational aspects that when you're when you're in that sort of crucible of a tragedy, it, you're refined in so many respects, in, in the midst of that. So.
1: Well, let's fast forward to the year 2017, another important year in your ministry journey. That's the year when you were called to be the senior pastor of Dawson Memorial Baptist Church here in Birmingham, in Homewood, Alabama. Uh, It is one of the biggest churches in our region, and you had to follow a man who's another good friend of Beeson in this program, Pastor Gary Fenton, who'd been there for about a quarter century. What was that experience like for you? What was that year like for your life and for your ministry? What's it like following somebody who's pastored a church so ably and faithfully for 25 years? And how has it been for you at Dawson? Mm Well, I always say that
0: it's it's been beautiful in many ways, largely because I've had the privilege to follow Dr. Gary Fenton. So not everyone has the privilege of following someone who has so faithfully served a congregation like Dawson for 25 years and beloved by the congregation, faithfully led the congregation, but faithfully led the congregation to that point of transition. And as I came into Dawson, one of the things that he has from day one done is so specifically encouraged me in my ministry. Uh, There's no one at Dawson who has been more specific and more consistent in their encouragement to me than our former pastor. Gary Fenton, and and he does it in ways uh, that only a pastor would know how to do it. I oftentimes say that he is, I pray that I'm able to have a ministry of decades at uh, Dawson. And he has so faithfully written a script by which that baton is passed to the, the next person that God calls to serve as the pastor. And just little ways, little notes of encouragement where he sees something that only he could be able to see. And by him just sending a note saying, thank you for this and this message, or thanks for the way that you've... And and we could give a a myriad of examples of this, but the specificity of, of the encouragement has been what really is very sustaining. And one of the great joys of Dawson is Dawson is a church that has had Uh, many men and women that have served on staff, that have served for decades, and then have come into a place of transition where they've retired from those roles, but they've stayed in the church. And so I can look across our congregation and see the strength and the health of the church represented by men and women that have faithfully served, vocationally, as ministers in the church, that now are still there. And it says a lot about Dawson. It says a lot about those ministers. And to be able to see Gary and Altafay in our congregation now that I've been there two and a half years, look uh, and see them in the congregation, along with other men and women that have served, is a tremendous encouragement to me. And so one of the things that is coming to Dawson, trying to, to lead the church in, in light of such a long transition... Or Excuse me, a a long, faithful ministry that has come before me is to really say um, this is a marathon and there's no reason to sprint. Uh, This is the next chapter. It's not a new book I'm trying to write. It's not a new... um, it's not uh, a a sequel that I'm trying to write. It's just the next chapter in the ministry that God has called us to. So with that, I think sometimes there's a tendency to overestimate what needs to get done in two years and maybe underestimate what can be done in 10 years. Uh, So with that mentality, that has, has been helpful to th- to be able to see the wonderful faithful ministry of of the church for 95 years and to be able to build upon that and uh, hopefully to plant some roots learn names minister alongside of the people of God and and move forward slowly prayerfully prudently. Those have been some of the initial goals. I've fallen short of that, but that certainly has been my goal in in the early years of the ministry that God's called me to at Dawson.
2: Tell us more about your church, especially for those who might be unfamiliar with Dawson Memorial Baptist Church, its mission and its place in Homewood, Alabama, and then how you approach your ministry as a pastor to that church.
0: That's a great question. One of the things that I'm able to be able to say proudly is Dawson's a church of rich tradition in the best sense of that word. Ninety-five years of history of engaging in our community of Homewood and the community of Birmingham him, uh, the state of Alabama, the nation of beyond. So it's a church that has had a rich tradition of evangelism and missions. It has been a church that traditionally, in its best, has been able to not divorce the spiritual from the physical. So we've been able, I think some of the best parts of Dawson have been able to see physical needs and the meaning of physical needs is a platform by which to be able to share the gospel, to make disciples. And so it is a church that is intergenerational. So I look out on a given Sunday and I'm able to see eight-year-olds and 28-year-olds and 18-year-olds and 58-year-olds and 88 and 98-year-olds. And I think we increasingly live in a fairly segmented culture. That uh, can sort of focus on we 're going to be an institution that is just for this narrow niche and Uh, Thankfully, Dawson has been a church. The tagline of Dawson, Memorial Baptist Church, is the Dawson Family of Faith, and uh, families come in a lot of different shapes and sizes and a lot of different uh, looks and nuances, but you really can look out and see a group of people that historically and presently uh, do have a deep love for one another and a deep love for the church. Uh, the volunteerism and the servanthood attitudes of the church members. I mean, we really have individuals who in, in, in some church life, you can, you can have someone who serves in the student ministry because they have kids, and then when their kids graduate, they graduate from that and move on to something. And I can look at people who have been serving in five-year preschool Sunday school classes for 35 years, and they don't, they don't have their own grandchildren in that ministry, but it's just that sense, the tagline, the mission of the church is to be found faithful as God's people. And you see you see that in in the um, individual stories of, of of church members and families that have been faithful for for years.
1: One of the best things for us at Beeson about Dawson is that it 's only about a ten minute drive away, and so there are strong ties between Beeson Divinity School and Dawson Memorial Baptist Church. Some of those ties have to do with the senior pastor of Dawson. Uh, Dr. Eldridge himself, who serves now on our main advisory board, who serves on our Baptist advisory board, who we have featured in our most recent video uh, marketing campaign called Who You Become, who's been involved in chapels, who's on our podcast. We feel like we're taking advantage of this relationship as much as we possibly can, and we're grateful to you for that, Pastor Eldridge. But could you say a word about the significance of Beeson for you for your own life as an alumnus. Mm-hmm. Dawson is a Southern Baptist church. Mm-hmm. Beeson is a school that has lots of Southern Baptists but it's interdenominational at the same time. Mm-hmm. What's the significance of your decision to attend Beeson Divinity School? Mm-hmm. And then if I can ask another question without this getting too complicated, what's the significance of Beeson Divinity School for you and your ministry today?
0: I love talking about Beeson because it has been so formative to me. And one of the great joys is to be able to, as a pastor, to, without my fingers crossed, without any nuance, without any disclaimers, to be able to say to young men and women who feel called to the ministry, you need to consider. Beeson and to see how God providentially has orchestrated many of their paths to come to Beeson. So I, I am a tremendous fan of this institution because of the way it has formed me. Like I said earlier, when I was a junior in college, senior in college, when I began to really look at the landscape of seminaries and divinity schools in North America, one of the things that struck me about Beeson Divinity School was the way that the academic Academic life was prized, but not to the exclusion of practical praxis, uh, spiritual development, community. So uh, that was exemplified in your predecessor, Dean George. Certainly looked at the preaching department. At that point, you had two of the most unique voices, I think, Uh, in in Southern Baptist life and certainly beyond that in Robert Smith and Calvin Miller and the great joy of being able to study under those two men. And I can multiply that with other professors that I had at Beeson from 2001 to 2004 that exemplified this wonderful unity in the essentials and diversity in the non-essentials and charity in the non-essentials. There was a sense in which uh, you could study as a Baptist student. And for me, I, I did. I was saved from the evangelistic outreach of a Southern Baptist church. I was formed in that church and then studied at a Southern Baptist college. But coming to Beeson didn't make me less of a Southern Baptist. It, uh, it, it exposed me I think, to the best of the great tradition in so many respects. I, I love, Dean Sweeney, the way your friend and former colleague at Trinity, Kevin Van Hooser, talks about this great street. I, I, the analogy maybe is is, is certainly is not as, as formed as he would say it if he was here now, but you have these different homes that represent different denominational traditions. And one of the things about coming to Beeson, for me, was to expose me to the best of these different homes in this wonderful community. Of the evangelical tradition, and to see, yes, you know, there's some distinctives, but what unifies us is far greater than those distinctives. And seeing where there were differences helped me refine one, why I was a Southern Baptist, two, convictionally, it helped me refine. Uh, what I needed to grow in, what I needed to be exposed to more that maybe I had taken for granted in some respects or not uh, carefully thought through. So my experience at Beeson didn't make me less of a Southern Baptist in many respects. It it fully formed me in ways that I think uh, are unique in an interdenominational evangelical community like Beeson has been and, and continues to be. So. Looking in my own past of how that continues to form me, one of the great joys of coming to Beeson is to give me, I think, a little bit of a desire to always branch out of my own denominational home that I'm very proud to be of and and from and continue to live out of, but to come alongside of various denominational traditions and serve in a local community with them. And so I I think, I don't know how it would be different if if I had gone to another seminary divinity school, but I can look back and just see just how formative. Beeson has and is, and I think always will be for for my life personally, my spiritual life, my marriage, the parenting of my children, and certainly my pastoral ministry.
2: Dr. Eldridge, um, can you give us a window into what God is doing in your life these days? what he's teaching you, ways that he's at work that would encourage our listeners.
0: I'm deeply encouraged as the pastor of Dawson to see what God is doing in the world. And I'll just take a day in the life. So this is the window question. Yesterday, I was able to sit and, and talk with one of our staff members about mission opportunities that Dawson has in Ecuador and the Dominican Republic and China and Turkey, what, what a tremendous privilege. Uh, many of those are connections to the church, men and women that have been called out of the church that are serving, so they're natural relationships. I, I left that meeting and I was able to drive to a ministry of our church that is two miles away from the church called the Learning Center and able to, to see, as I've seen in the past, men and women that are getting their GEDs. And so their church members and other volunteers from the larger community that are literally helping individuals get training for science, math, reading. Also, each individual that comes through there has uh, Bible stories and the gospel that is clearly shared. I'm able to leave that uh, experience and to be able to sit down with a person who One of the books has been very formative in in my life is Rosaria Butterfield's The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And so we did a little bit of a study at that. And so I I was sitting with, with one of our staff members and they were talking about how God had just deeply convicted them of opening their home and how this past Friday night they invited their neighbors over and they had this just first step, this first step of building a relationship. So in a place like Dawson, I think what is so formative for me and so encouraging for me is to see God at work in that kind of macro worldwide level, and then also to intimately see Him at work across our neighborhood. And I am a dad. I'm a husband, and I'm a dad of three boys. And so we're at the baseball field with our neighbors. We're trying to pray intentionally to build those kinds of relationships and to share the love of Christ in a way that draws people to Him. And so uh, that intentionality, I think, is what God is teaching me, and I'm able to see exemplified in many of our church members that are doing that so faithfully, and they they uh, their example uh, cheers me on and inspires me.
1: Well, me too, and I pray that God will teach us all those very same things. You have been listening to the Reverend Dr. David Eldridge, Senior Pastor of Dawson Memorial Baptist Church here in Homewood. He is a Beeson alumnus, we are proud to say, and board member and good friend. We thank Thank him for being with us on the program today. We thank all of you for tuning in. We pray that God will bless you, your lives, and your ministries this week. Goodbye for now.
2: You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at com slash podcast or on iTunes.